As a sophomore in high school, I was 125 pounds soaking wet. Now, that's hard to imagine because I'm about 75 pounds more than that at this point in my life. And yet, at 125 pounds, I could sit on top of a huge gelding weighing about 1,000 to 1,200 pounds, about 10 times my body weight, and without much effort at all, I could control that massive animal and have that horse to move exactly according to my desires. Now, in my case, what I wanted that horse to do involved what you see on the screen. I was a high school steer wrestler. And so I didn't really spend a whole lot of time on a horse. But the couple of seconds I did spend were important. You start from back, you know, you back up at the beginning of the arena. You start in a box. You're here. you got a hazer over there, and there's a steer in the middle. And when they turn the steer loose, you go from zero to 60, well, maybe zero to 25 pretty quick. And you need that horse to take you from a standstill behind the steer to alongside of the steer where you can... In this way, apprehend it. Now, I hope there's nobody sensitive here, but let me, let me just tr- tell you, the steers always fare better than the cowboys, so don't worry about the, 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 the health and the prosperity of these steers, believe me. So on the next slide, at your feet come out of the saddle, and you're hanging on, and your feet are going to hit, and in the next slide... At this point, when your feet hit, you're sliding, you stop that steer, and you stand up. I'm not going to show you a picture of what happens next, but if you're a wrestler, you cross-face the steer hard. If you're not a wrestler, what that means is you you hold on with the right side, you take your left arm, and you go across his nose real hard, you twist his neck, and he ends up on his backbone. What's really cool is if you can do it in such a way that his feet get air and he lands on his backbone. Again, trust me. The steers fare better than the cowboys because I've been under those steers when they fall and that hurts. And I was, remember, I was only 125 pounds. So what you need, you need to feel sorry for the little cowboy that's in this story, not the steers, okay? The steers were all fine. I can just hear it now, some kind of animal abuse from East LJ Church. It's not so. Steer wrestling in high school was some of the best fun that I've ever, ever, I've ever had, but I digress. And so let's go back to controlling this horse that's 10 times heavier than I was. Was it that I was physically stronger than that horse with all of its rippling muscles at 1,500 pounds? No. I had a bit in the horse's mouth that enabled me to control the horse's entire body. There was a piece of metal in one of those sensitive parts of the horse. And as long as I had control of his mouth, I had control of his whole body. You and I have more in common with horses than you might think. At least on one level. There's a lot of power. In that little warm, wet organ in your mouth called the tongue. And if we can control our tongues, the Bible says, we can control our whole being. Someone said every one of us is carrying around a concealed weapon. Now, whether or not you're packing here this morning is irrelevant. What this person's talking about is all we have to do is open our mouths, and that weapon, the tongue, is unconcealed and out in the open for everybody to see. 
Do you realize that you speak between 18 and 25,000 words a day at a minimum? Some studies have said that men speak about 25,000 words a day. And I'm just telling you what the facts are. Women speak 30,000 words a day. John MacArthur told his church that men speak theirs before they get home and, 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 the, and the women hadn't even started when the man comes home in the, in the evenings. Now, I didn't tell that, that to you. I'm just telling you what John MacArthur said to his church out in California. You will, if you're a normal person, spend one-fifth of your life talking. 20% of your life spent talking. Washington Irving, Irving said, The tongue is the only tool that grows sharper with constant use. You know, you use a knife and what do you have to do? What happens to it, Ken? gets dull and you got to put it on a whetstone, don't you? you got to sharpen that thing. Not the tongue. The tongue is the only tool that grows sharper with constant use. This morning I want to talk to you about a focal point for real maturity. I want to give you a focal point that will lead to real maturity if we get a hold of it. We're going to look at, look at James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And here's the truth I want you to take home. Controlling our tongues is key in becoming more like Jesus. You know, there's a lot of things we think about when we think about Christian maturity, becoming more like Christ, growing as a believer and a follower of Jesus. But I'm afraid that sometimes, though it should be, it's not, we don't think about the tongue. And yet James makes it clear that controlling our tongues is a key in becoming more like Jesus. In fact, the tongue is this focal point for real maturity that I want you to get a handle on this morning. Why is it so important for us to understand this today? Why do we need to have a focal point for real maturity? Why do we need to grasp the truth that controlling our tongues is key in becoming more like Jesus so that we can have an effective focal point for real maturity, for becoming more like Christ, and start making positive, measurable progress. Let me show you where I'm getting this in God's Word. James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, James begins this chapter, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, before the message has even started, this passage speaks to me. First and foremost this morning. The bulk of my calling as a pastor teacher involves my tongue. As I try to use and and teach God's word, uh, both on a corporate level and, and individually in counseling and encourage and exhort the people of God. By the way, Sunday school teachers, youth and children's workers, if you teach the word of God in any way, James says this is this is for you too. This is directed at you also. And may we teachers this morning, above all, especially tremble at God's word this morning because we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, this doesn't mean that 
We shouldn't become teachers. This doesn't mean that, that you should shy away from, from, from teaching God's Word if God calls you to do that. But James is simply saying that we need to understand from the beginning that we will be judged with greater strictness concerning the use of our tongues. And we know that's what he's going to be talking about as we go into verse 2. But as we move into verse 2, I want you to notice, James is not limiting his teaching on the tongue to just us teachers, as we see in the very next phrase. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone, okay, so all covers everybody, right? And anyone covers everybody. So suddenly he's moved from the specifics. He just had to touch on that. It's that important in the church of Jesus Christ for Bible teachers at whatever level of the church life to be serious about their calling and to take their words and, and their use of the tongue very seriously. But, but then he moves quickly and says, I'm, I'm talking to the whole church. For we all stumble in many ways. Is that true for you? Let's get on the same page. We all stumble in many ways, amen? And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his his whole body. Is there anybody that doesn't stumble in what they say? No, but James is saying, if you did, you'd be able to control everything in your life. If you could not stumble in your speech, then you could control the rest of your life. New Living Translation translates verse 2 this way. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could control, also control ourselves in every other way. Anger, it wouldn't be an issue. Lust, you could control that. If you could get control of the tongue, all these other things that are real and that we struggle with would be nothing by comparison. So powerful is the tongue. Contemporary English version has it this way, but if you can control your tongue, you are mature and able to control your whole body. You see, I'm not making it up. Controlling our tongues is key in becoming more like Jesus. The text goes on in verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Isn't that that amazing in a boat? Just a little bitty thing. I mean, we can talk about a John boat with a little, you know, little small motor with just just a little bitty rudder like this. You can talk about the world's largest ship, but compared to the size of that ship, the rudder's tiny, isn't it? What steers that thing is very small. And James says, so also the tongue, verse 5, is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Hello. I mean, James, just say what's on your mind, brother. <laughs> Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. 
With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same opening? From the the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond, clearly a reference to the Dead Sea here, yield fresh water. Controlling our tongues is key in becoming more like Jesus. John MacArthur comments on this whole passage, and he says, Nothing's more telling on the heart than the tongue. And it's of great concern to James. He mentions the tongue in every chapter of his letter. We've already seen in chapter 1, he mentioned it twice there, verses 19 and 26. He mentioned it in chapter 2, verse 12. He'll mention it in chapter 4, verse 11, and in chapter 5, verse 12. And he spends a large section of chapter 3 that we're looking at this morning on the matter of the tongue. Now, James, as you remember, is being used... It's being used by the Holy Spirit to show us that true believers, people who really know God, who have been begotten by the Word of God, as he put it in chapter 1, verse 18, will manifest that new life in the way they live. And what we've learned so far is the the reality of our faith in Jesus, whether or not we're truly saved, it'll show up in our endurance in trials, as we saw in chapter 1. It'll show up in our humility and temptation, also in chapter 1. It'll show up by our obedience to Scripture, also in chapter 1. It'll show in how we love others and 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 are concerned about the needy without partiality, as we saw in chapter 2. It'll show up in a life that's, that's full of obedience to Jesus, as we saw even last week. A life that doesn't just talk about trusting in God, a life that shows that indeed we do trust Him, we love Him as seen in our obedience to Him. And now he says, transformation, salvation, it'll show up in the way we talk. Man, that's just almost too practical, isn't it? Well, it's going to get worse before it gets better, by the way. Our tongue, our speech will tell on our hearts. And so James is demanding here that we recognize that living faith shows itself in the control of the tongue. Let's break these verses down to see how they drive this truth home. James gives us four truths about the tongue in these verses that make it clear that controlling our tongues is key in becoming more like Jesus. First of all, see with me in verses, uh, into verse 5 and verse 6, that the tongue can be toxic. The tongue can be toxic. Verse 5, the second part, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Why does Smokey the Bear warn campers about the way to handle matches and cigarettes when in the national forests? I mean, what's the big deal about a couple of matches? I mean, they're this long. Even one cigarette, I mean, it's that long compared to the forest. You know, there's an older song that says, it only takes a a, a spark to get a fire going, and that's just the truth about fire, isn't it? Fire's so different than water, right? 
water doesn't multiply. You ever thought about that? A drop of water will remain a drop of water unless you add a billion drops of water to it to make it a flood. Right? But a spark of fire, it'll grow. It'll multiply. It'll consume an entire forest as we smelled just a few months back and witnessed just a few miles away. The ugly, filthy blaze that ever smolders in the tongue is not satisfied to remain there. This text says it works to fill our whole life with sin. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. One commentator says the uncontrolled tongue has a direct pipeline to hell. It says here, it's set on fire, this fire that's burning, this fire that can consume our whole being and ruin our whole life. It's set on fire by hell. It has a direct pipeline to hell. It's as if we go down to the filthy fires of hell and scoop up some of the muck and the flame and we bring it back to earth and we start throwing at each other, throwing at each other when we sin with our mouths, when we curse men who are made in the image of God, as James said. John MacArthur says, when Isaiah, wanting to confess to God his other sinfulness, in the midst of a vision of God's holiness, expressed himself, and he said, I am a man. How did he describe himself? How did he describe his sinfulness? I am a man of a dirty mouth, of unclean lips. Nothing more marked a man's sinfulness than his, than his mouth. A dirty mouth is most representative of depravity. That's why Proverbs 21, verse 23 says, Whoever guards his mouth and and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. And that's what James just laid out. The tongue can be toxic. But secondly, the tongue is tameless. Verses 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of... Of deadly poison. Now you may be thinking, you may be pretty sharp, you're, you're tracking along and, 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 and you, you heard that last verse, you said, Well, then why in the world are we talking about what we can't do? Don't worry, we're going to get there. There's a way it can be done. But on my own, on your own, you can't do it. There's a way to get the job done, and we're going to hit it before we end. But no human being on their own can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poisons. The rabbis used to say that the tongue was an arrow. And the reason they said the tongue was an arrow rather than the tongue was a knife was because an arrow can kill at a distance. And the deadliness of the tongue was that it could kill even without being anywhere near the victim. And it is so very true. The tongue is a deadly arrow. And how often have we slain others in the shooting of it? Nowhere is the union of faith and works more visible than in your speech and in my speech. The text says it's a restless evil. Philip's translation says it is always liable to break out. It's like a caged wild animal. It's a restless evil that wants loose. And if given just the slightest chance, it will break out in evil. It says it's full of deadly poison. Kent Hughes says it's full of verbal Cyanide. 
That's what's in my mouth. That's what can spew off the tip of this little thing between my teeth and yours. Verbal cyanide. It's deadly poison. Psalm 140. James, you know, the, the Scripture's full of this. This is not just James only. He didn't make this up. He learned it from the Word of God. Psalm 140, verse 3. They sharpen their tongues like a serpent. The poison of asp, those are snakes, is under their lips. In Proverbs 19, verse 12, uh, nine, excuse me, Proverbs 10, verse 19. Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. How many times as a child I had that verse quoted to me? That means I had a unique problem with my tongue. I I had a a motor mouth, and Mama had to say, where words are many from 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 the Living Bible, sin is not absent, son. And you're about that close to being in sin. And when you sin, I'm going to correct your sin from the bottom up. (laughs) Proverbs 15, verse 28 says, The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. Proverbs 18, verse 2, A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. Proverbs 29, verse 20. Do you see a man hasty in his words, quick to words, quick to talk? There is more hope for a fool than for him because you see the tongue is tameless on a human level. The tongue is tameless if it's left up to me and you by ourselves to get the job done. But thirdly, I want you to see the tongue's two-faced. Verses 9 through 12, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. On the one hand, we bless God. We come to church, we praise God, we sing, and then we go out into our work week, and we get on the job, and things are aggravating, and we curse people, people that God made, and people that he made in his own image. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, James says. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? The answer is what? No. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You see, even nature hates hypocrisy, and it can't go there. A salt spring can't produce fresh water or vice versa. And yet my tongue and yours is a spiritual Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. That's why Proverbs 8 verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. We should hate the two-faced nature of the tongue. Proverbs 13, verse 13, verse 3 says, He who guards his mouth preserves his life. See the connection? But he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. 
You want to protect your life? You want to guard your life? Then close your mouth, let's Proverbs say. Want to be destroyed? Uh, want, to, want, want to make a fast track to destruction? Then just run your mouth. Just let it go. Say everything you think. Don't hold back. Sounds like pop psychology, doesn't it? Just express yourself. Yeah. And die. We pay people big money to tell us stupid things. That'll get us killed. And somebody gave him a PhD and endorsed him to do it. Then you get back to the Word of God and the wisdom of it. The tongue is two-faced. Fourthly, these verses bring it all together. The tongue is a test. Back to verse 2, the second part. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Able also to bridle his whole body. That's where we got the main point of the message. Which is controlling... Our tongues is key in becoming more like Jesus. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. That's why I entitled the message a focal point for real maturity. The tongue is how we get to real maturity. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships. They're so large, driven by strong winds, but guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue. It's a small member, yet it boasts great things. Let me ask you something. Do you want to know whether your relationship with Jesus is real? Maybe you're here this morning, and, you, and, and, and you know, you, you, you've done the church thing, but deep down, you're not sure. You don't know if you really know him. Maybe you're here this morning and you know him. Do you want to know whether or not you're growing in your relationship with Jesus? The same test is the same for us all. It's our tongue. Examine your own speech. Our speech is our spiritual thermometer. Just stop and listen to yourself. What's coming over this little warm, wet organ in your mouth? What's coming out? You see, James says in verse, chapter 1, verse 26, those who consider themselves religious, that means to know God and have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves. They've lied to themselves. They've duped themselves. And their religion is worthless. It's useless. It's for nothing. In other words, it's not saving faith. It's not a real connection to Jesus, the only Savior for the world. Jesus was talking to the self-righteous Pharisees, and he said, you brood of snakes. Way to make friends and influence people. Call them a bunch of snakes. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. That's why the tongue is a key. Right there. James didn't make this stuff up. He got it straight from Jesus. 
A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day of every idle word you speak. The words you say, listen to this, on judgment day, will either acquit or condemn Chad, I thought we were saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are. But on judgment day, the words we spoke through life will either prove we trusted him or prove we didn't trust him. They will be the evidence before the jury of heaven that proves the root of salvation in our heart or the lack thereof. They will be the fruit that points back to that root of free justification through faith in Jesus Christ and the presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit that can transform and change and tame the tongue. And if he's here, it will. He will. That's why James has already said in chapter 1, verse 19, Dear friends, be quick to listen. Slow to speak, and slow to get angry. The two go together. Your anger never makes things right in God's sight. We already talked about it. When I'm angry, the more I talk, the angrier I get, and the more I talk, and the angrier I get, and it's a vicious, unending, unhealthy, damning circle. So be quick to listen and slow to speak. You see, the tongue, very simply put, is a test of your salvation. And if you know him, it's a test of your current relationship with Jesus. You see, we ought to be taking tongue inventory regularly. We ought to be listening to our speech regularly. Why? Because it shows us what's going on in here. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, the million dollar question is how? How do we get control of our tongues so that we can grow in our relationship with Jesus? Two action points this morning. First of all, if you know Jesus, if he's your Savior, and you're you're, you're certain that, that you know him, work on controlling your speech by following Jesus' example and trusting in your Father. In 1 Peter 2, verses 22 and 23, we have a passage here that describes Jesus. It describes how Jesus spoke, even in bad situations, and how he was able to control his tongue when most of us couldn't have or wouldn't have. 1 Peter 2, verse 22, quoting the Old Testament He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. This is Jesus. When they hurled insults at him, a great and usual time for us to sin with our tongues, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, when they beat him, when they spit in his face, when they slapped him, when they pressed a crown of thorns on his head, he made no threats. How? How do you go through all that and not mouth off in anger or at least in pain? How? Instead, you do something else. He entrusted himself to him who judges 
justly. Everyone in this room has had a time when you, that you would describe this way. I was so mad I could not control my tongue. Hello? This is the point where if you don't raise your hand, the people around you will know you're a habitual liar. So everybody has been there. Amen? Let's just get all level, ground level at the foot of the cross. Everybody needs Jesus the same. You know the only way, or part of, the only way that you can not mouth off and say what you want to say when you get that mad, when you're hurting that bad, when people are mistreating you that way, it's only by trusting your Father to deal with them. If you in that moment think, think, think the justice in their lives and ultimately on them depends on you, then you can't keep quiet. You'll mouth off. Because it depends on you to make sure they know how wrong they are and how right you are. But Jesus could keep his mouth shut because he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He knew that one day the Father would make it all right. He'd vindicate the righteousness of Christ and he would punish the sin of those people. You trust your father that much? It's a key to controlling your tongue. Work on controlling your speech by following Jesus' example and trusting your father. But secondly, the other action point, how do we control our tongue so we can grow in our relationship with Jesus? We work on controlling our speech by drawing from the Spirit's power. In Galatians 5, verse 19, it says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. This is what, this is what us by ourselves, no Jesus, no Holy Spirit, this is what we produce. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. Beginning, at, beginning right here at the next word, the tongue is clearly involved. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, faction, and envy. Tell me how any of those things express themselves or come up without somebody's tongue running off. Right? Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, how can we have control of our tongues? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Certainly the tongue is involved in, 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 in several of those fruits of the Spirit, right? You're gentle in, with your tongue. You're kind with your tongue. You're, you're peaceful with your tongue. But certainly it involves that last one, self-control. How do you control something that no human being can control? James says no man can contain the tongue. You do it by depending on the Holy Spirit who can give you. It's the only place you can get it. And it really lasts and it be for real. You depend on the Holy Spirit who gives you His fruit, who produces in you the ability to control yourself, self-control. The Spirit of God can and will tame your tongue if you let Him. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, I pray, Paul prays for the church. He says, I pray that the eyes 
of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. That's two things. I want you to know the hope you've got. I want you to know the riches of your inheritance. And verse 19, there's a third thing I want you to know, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He so wants us to know about the power, he continues to write about that power, and he reminds us what it is. That power is the same as the mighty strength he, God the Father, exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And Paul says, I'm praying for you that you'll know the power you've got, and that it's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. You have that incomparable power. It's in you. It's for you. To use. To do what? To tame the tongue. Just to start. But that's a real good focal point for real maturity. That's a real good beginning point. It's a real good key toward growing more like Jesus. In Romans 8 verse 11, Paul says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you... Is he living in you this morning? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. There's two things repeated twice. If the Spirit lives in you, then He'll give life to your bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Paul's underlining some things. The Spirit is in you. But here's the real kicker. That Spirit, he says it twice. If the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then the one who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies because His Spirit lives in you. Y'all got it? The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you, and if He could raise Jesus from the dead, He can tame your tongue. He will tame your tongue. If he lives in you, the only way to control our tongues is in the power of the Holy Spirit. He is able and he is with us. And if we'll depend on him, if we'll let him give us his power to tame our tongues. James promises if you can control the tongue, you're mature and able to control your whole body. Taming the tongue is a focal point for real maturity. Controlling your tongue is key in becoming more like Jesus. A lady told her pastor, I struggle with my tongue. I want to put my tongue on the, on the altar pastor said, our altar's not that big. (laughs) But rest assured this morning, God's grace in Jesus and his resurrection power by the Holy Spirit is big enough and strong enough to tame my tongue and to tame yours. Let's pray together.